Conversion begins with healing. Conversion is initiated by the Holy Spirit. And sometimes, most of the time, conversion can look a lot like a loving embrace from Jesus. We're going to hear the words from Acts chapter 10, where the apostle Peter has been led by an angel to go visit a Gentile's house. As a good Jewish boy, he didn't do that. He, did, he grew up avoiding Gentiles. But the angel tells him, a man named Cornelius, is, you, you, you need to be, he's going to send some men to come and get you, and you need to go to Cornelius's house. And it's in this home with a few dozen other people that have come to see the apostle Peter that we find ourselves in Acts chapter 10, speaking to this home where Peter says, To them, I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses to all that he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Peter's laying it out. He's having church in these Gentiles' house. But then something extraordinary would then happen. While he was speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling or worshiping God. Then Peter said, can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus, and they invited him to stay for several days. Now the word conversion may conjure up a lot of feelings for people. For the Christ follower, it's mostly an acceptable word. Yes, I moved from death to life. I moved from living for myself in the place of God, having God on the throne of my life by the grace of Jesus. But for a lot of people, the word conversion can, what they would think would be a call to sort of traditional moral values, or just be more moral, be religious. Many people would think that conversion is just a form of brainwashing. When I was in college, we were watching a worship video with some other believers in someone's dorm room. It was the event called Passion One Day had happened earlier that year on a farm in Tennessee. And 60,000 college students had gathered to worship. And so we were watching Chris Tomlin and 
Charlie Hall and all, Louis Giglio all do these things that, and we, we love those songs. And so we're watching and my roommate came in who was not a believer at all. And he walked in and saw us watching this video and he said, what are you guys watching? And we said, well, we're watching a, a worship video. And he kind of paused and he had a weird look on his face and he said, this is just propaganda, man. And, it, and maybe to someone that, that's not been converted, it does look strange. When you don't know the truth of who Jesus is, then maybe it looks a little bit odd. Now, the literal definition of the word conversion literally means to change from one religion to another. And it can also be, the, another definition is to change from one substance to another. And I think it's important to talk about conversion for the church so that we're more conversant and can help other people be converted. But it's also good to talk about it to let people know it's not a bad word. It's actually a beautiful word. It's a word that, is a, that unlocks a door opening to a new life. But the first thing to note about conversion is that it is not a call to just more religion or man-made morality. It's not what conversion is. That, that video clip we just watched of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was the ultimate religious person, blameless under the Jewish religious law. Perfect, was the most esteemed teacher of the day. But when Jesus and Nicodemus have that conversation at that table, Jesus doesn't tell Nicodemus, go and be more moral. Just become more religious and you'll be converted. No. Jesus says to him, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Not a call to more, val more traditional values or morality or religion, but conversion is especially a call to those who are already deeply uh, moral only or irreligious, it's especially a call to them. In Matthew 18, Jesus says, unless you're converted or unless you become like a little child, you cannot see the kingdom. You see, conversion means to turn around, but it's not a replacing of who you are. It's the spirit of God refacing who you are. The image of God being restored in your life and in your soul by the power of the Holy Spirit. But, you, but, but the, the culture you're from, your temperament, your personality could very well be the same. But your reasons, your motivations, they change. What it really means is who you worship changes when you're converted. You're regenerated by the Spirit of God from the inside out. Conversion or being converted to Christ, it's not just changing belief. As the book of James tells us, that the demons in hell believe in God, but they're still demons. But they believe and they tremble. But belief is not conversion. Much of this country believes in God, but are they living the marks of being born from above? No. Conversion is not a call to more traditional morality or religious ideas. Those may follow later as fruit of your life in Christ, but that's not conversion. 
In many ways, conversion is simply to be healed by Jesus. Look at all the people that Jesus interacted with over the course of his ministry, the people he spoke to. I love all those passages where it says people brought to Jesus all of these sick people and it says that he healed them all. No matter where you're from or what you look like or what race you are, he healed them all. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, even socially, healed them all. Where are you today? Do you need to be healed by the power of God, of Jesus Christ in your life? He meets their needs. He meets your needs and he heals us. And they become converted, not to just to follow a religion, but to follow a man, a personality, God. He heals them and loves them in a way they've never experienced before, and their lives are never the same. They can't look away after you meet someone like Jesus. As we saw in that clip from The Chosen, true conversion, true healing can be as simple as an embrace from Jesus. And once you are loved by the overwhelming, expansive love of God, you are healed. Now, why do we need to be healed? Why do we need to be converted? Jesus said, I've not come for the healthy people. Sick people need a doctor, not healthy people. And he acknowledges that we as human beings are sick. The short answer, of course, is sin. I don't need to tell you that our world is incredibly broken in our world today. People in need of total healing that only the Holy Spirit can bring in our lives and that God wants to bring in our lives. But the problem is that people put themselves in the place of God. But there are really two types of sin. One gets a lot of attention. The hellraiser, you know, going out, carousing, sleeping around, stealing, lying, all the, all the sins of the flesh, right? That's the sin that gets a lot of attention and, and it needs to be forgiven, it needs to be atoned for. You need to be healed of those things. You need to walk away from those things. You need to live a new life in Christ, absolutely. There's two types of sin, that's one of them. The other is just you become a self-righteous Pharisee. There are two sides of the same coin, both are self-distorting, both are soul-distorting, and they focused on self-centeredness and pride and filling a hole of power and control and an absence of surrender. That both put themselves in the place of God. As we saw in that clip, though, maybe the overly religious, the overly pharisaical are the people that maybe are in a worse place because you can't even see your need to be converted. The ones who think they are spiritually okay, maybe they're not. But the ones who think they're not okay, they're on their way. There's a humility there. A great illustration of this is the founder of the Methodist movement. He was an insecure, broken young man before he became John Wesley this leader of a Methodist global move of God. Isn't it good news that God will use insecure, broken people? And he takes John Wesley 
and used him to transform the world. Listen to this. John Wesley was raised very religious in a household. He became an Anglican priest in his 20s, but he was miserable. But he wanted to please God. He believed in God. He was a priest. Both he and his brother were ordained. They preached, they taught, they wrote hymns. They went on missionary work to Georgia, the state of Georgia at that time. But in their younger years, they did not have Christ. They were not converted from above. Or rather, Christ did not have them. They lived by good works, but not by faith. They were moving in the right direction, but they felt like something was missing. And maybe you feel like that today. In his early 30s, John Wesley went on a missionary trip to, as I said, to the state of Georgia to preach the gospel to the Native Americans that lived there at that time. And it did not go as he planned. I can't go into the details, but it was a lot of failures. It was a failure on his personal life romantically, as well as what he hoped to accomplish in the United States or the states of the colonies at that time. And on his arrival in Georgia, a young Moravian minister named Spangenberg pressed a young Wesley with questions. He said, my brother, do you know Jesus Christ? Spangenberg is witnessing to an Anglican priest. John Wesley said, I know that Jesus died for your sins, died for my sins. Spangenberg says, that's not what I asked you. He pressed the question further home. Do you know Jesus Christ? Wesley says, well, I know he came to save me. But then Spangenberg says, but do you know him yourself? Persisted Spangenberg, who was not uh, content with skin-deep, surface-level conversations. John Wesley replies, no, I long to know Jesus Christ. And Wesley stumbled on in his words. He would later write in his journal, I went to America to convert the Indians. And he wrote bitterly, but oh, he says, who shall convert me? I have, a, I have a fair summer religion. I can talk well, and I believe myself, but when danger is near and life is hard, when I look, look death in the face, my spirit is trouble. I have a sort of fear that I've spun my last thread and I fear I shall perish on the shore. I learned that I went to America to convert others, but I had not been converted myself. But the good news is that as he was pursuing God, God was pursuing him. And as he returned to England, he went to a meeting with other Christians, Moravians, who were reading from the book of Romans. And while he's sitting in the room, the Spirit of God spoke to Wesley, and he has a conversion experience. And after that, his life was never the same. But he was 34 years old when this happened. 34. That was pretty old for back then. And after that, the world was transformed. The, the, The Spirit of God healed him from the inside out. About 20 years ago, exactly, I was serving with a summer ministry where we would go to homes and do home repair. And part of my job was to set up work projects for youth groups to come in and fix homes. And one day I knock on a door, a little trailer. It was a single wide that half of the single wide was full of garbage. And the half he lived in had a bed in it and a kitchen and a bathroom. That was it. And I opened the door 
and the smell of urine was overwhelming. The shag carpet was full of, I won't even go into detail, but, but this guy, his name was Clifford, and Clifford was a Vietnam veteran, uh, a man of great pride, but he was deeply depressed. He had no one to care for him. He was alone in this trailer near Shelby, North Carolina. He was so depressed, he would not even walk. His legs had atrophied, and he just sat in bed. Well, youth groups came in, and, and they began to fix up his home and buy him clothes and get all the garbage out and gave him new floor. And it was the most remarkable thing. You began to see the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus, heal this man. And it came to a culmination. After they had transformed his physical reality, they brought him new plastic uh, lawn furniture. And they gave him a birthday cake for his birthday. And he was overwhelmed and he was weeping and he had never been blessed. He had never been loved like this in his whole life. And then this teenage girl got down on her knees and she began to wash his feet. To be converted is to be healed, is to be loved by Jesus. It's not simply to become more religious. It's the work of God. It's, and conversion is always initiated by God. As we see in that passage, that, uh, the book of Acts, no one converts themselves. Everyone looks back over their lives, especially Christians, and they realize, I thought I was searching for God. But then I realized he was searching for me the whole time. Prevenient grace. He was seeking me out the whole time. It's God initiating the relationship with you day after day. He does it because he loves you and it will never end. Even when this life is over, he will always want to be near to you. But it's God initiating the healing, the conversion. Now, a lot of good, a lot of good agnostics in our world will sort of cheerfully talk about man's search for God, which I think is somewhat laughable. As C.S. Lewis said in his book, Surprised by Joy, he said, we may as well talk about the mouse's search for a cat. Or to put it another way, a character in a book searching for the author. It's impossible. The author has to make himself known to the character to even let them know that he exists. And the good news is that God has come to do precisely that. To make us new people from the inside out. New citizens of heaven that will live forever simply by his grace and his love. But it's God who initiates the conversion. Again, let's look back at this passage and see how God is leading Peter this whole time. As I said, this devout Gentile sends men to get Peter and bring Peter to his house. And before Peter receives this message, he has a vision from God where he's praying on the roof of his home or someone's home and God shows him all of these unclean foods that Jewish people are not supposed to eat. And the spirit of God says to Peter, go kill and eat these things. And Peter says, no, Lord, I can't do that. I'm a good Jewish boy. I've never eaten these things in my whole life. These things, these are profane things I can't do. But then God says, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. You see, Peter, it's not about the food. 
It's about the people of God. It's about the Gentiles too. God is going to make them clean. But before Peter can figure that out, Cornelius' servants show up, again, Gentiles, and Peter goes with them into their house. The whole time, God is initiating this work of conversion, really of bringing people together of different nationalities and races. And he's leading the whole process. Conversion is to be healed. Conversion is a gift. Conversion is a work of the Holy Spirit. As you see this passage where the Spirit of God falls upon these Gentiles, there's two signs of the Spirit that happen here. There's two things, speaking in tongues and secondly, extolling God or worshiping God. Now first, they're speaking in tongues. Now you might be wondering, how is a United Methodist minister going to get around this one? Not a lot of tongue speaking going on in Methodist churches too much. But you have to remember what tongues means in the book of Acts. It means speaking in other languages. This time they are speaking in tongues, but all the other times in Acts, when the Spirit falls upon the apostles, the Spirit falls upon other gatherings of Christians, no other tongues happen. But Peter figures it out. Peter remembers Pentecost. He remembers what God was saying to them then at Pentecost and what God is saying to them now with these Gentiles. God is saying, up until now, this movement's been a Jewish-only thing, not anymore. God is saying that every language is equal. God is saying every culture is equal. God is saying my love for all people is equal. He is saying racial and cultural superiority has to end. Christ is for all people. He's for the whole world. Peter is a good Jewish boy that has avoided Gentiles his whole life. But God says to him, go, I'm doing a new thing. And Peter, to his credit, doesn't resist the Holy Spirit, but he's obedient. But hear me on this. If you or someone you know resents a cultural or racial group, you are resisting the Holy Spirit. The Spirit leads Peter in a variety of ways to show him what God has made clean, you do not call profane. And when Peter proclaims the gospel, the Spirit confirms Peter's proclamation. If the Spirit had not fallen in this manner, in this gathering with these Gentiles and Jews in the same room, and it, and it confirmed the proclamation that Christ is for all people, the Word and the Spirit working in tandem with each other, if that had not happened, then you would know that Peter was simply giving his opinion regarding the Gentiles, but Peter wasn't. He was preaching the Word. There are a lot of people today proclaiming uh, their own opinions, but the Spirit doesn't confirm what they're saying. The Word and the Spirit always work in tandem and in harmony with each other. But secondly, the Holy Spirit, they spoke in tongues, that was a sign God was saying, this is for everyone. But the Holy Spirit also changes them in what they worship, who they worship. And until you change who you worship, 
all the external religious stuff, it won't stick. Until you change your heart orientation of who is on the throne of your life, it will not stick. How do you change your behavior if you know you have a bad habit or you're living apart from God? Here's what you do. You change who you worship. Stop worshiping yourself. Stop worshiping your money. Stop worshiping sex. Stop worshiping drugs or alcohol or control or worship. Who knows what it is that's on the throne of your life? If it's not Christ. But if you change who you worship, it changes everything about your life in, a, in the best way possible, in the most thorough conversion way possible. Here's why. Because worship calls forth your entire person, body, mind, and soul. And this worship carries over into the life to come. And it's simply God saying, I just want you to enjoy my goodness. I just want you to taste and see that I'm good. And I want to open your eyes to a whole new reality. But that won't happen until you are born from above. Until you surrender and lay down your arms. Until you let me heal you from the inside out. I'd be honored to pray with you right now. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, as we're gathered in different places, I pray that we feel a sense of freedom to be real before you, to be honest in our emotions and how we're feeling today. And say, God, take to search my heart, oh God, and know me and see if there's anything wicked within me. Root it out. Remove it from my life and lead me onto your path everlasting. Move within us from the inside, oh God. Let us set aside every hindrance right now, everything that wants to distract us, every entanglement. God, so many of us are so exhausted. And we, we, we just need you, Jesus. We need your Holy Spirit's power. For us personally, for our city, for our state, for our world, for our nation, God, we're, we're a people so in need of a fresh touch of the Spirit. God, let us experience the Spirit falling on us. Let us dream bigger. Let us have bigger faith. Let us be hungry for more of you, God. Heal us, Jesus. Heal us, God. Let it be the cry of our heart. Just to be honest and raw, Jesus, just say to Jesus right now, Jesus, heal me, heal me. We need you to heal us, oh God. Life by life, you will heal, you will heal our culture. You will heal our nation. God, if, you, if we will let you. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and cry out to me, I will come down and heal them and heal their, heal their land. God, we, we claim that promise today and pray that you would heal our land, O oh Lord, from the inside, O oh God. God, you see the darkness of our sin. You see the ways that we fail, but you love us the same. Your grace and your love is amazing, God. Come Holy Spirit. 